correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here this evening with my friend Steve. Howdy, Steve. How are you this evening? Oh, you know. Is it cold and rainy down where you're at tonight, too? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been thematically appropriate for the day I've had. Oh, that's that's not nice. Well, hopefully we can have a little more fun tonight. Yeah, we have some very special guests on tonight. But before that, why don't we talk about our podcast of the week? All right, let's do that. So who is our podcast of the week this week? Is it Court Games this time? Yes, it is. Ah, yes. The Court Games family of podcasts on the D20 Network is it's actually three podcasts. They have uh, one that is called Court Games. They have another that's called Fortune and Strife, and they have a third that is called Crimson and Gold Agonies, or Crimson Crimson Gold Agonies, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And they are all based around the Legend of the Five Rings. Mm-hmm. Court Games is more of a discussion podcast. They talk some about the card game, some about the role-playing game, and various things that tie into that. The other two are both actual play podcasts. I believe Fortune and Strife is more of a demonstration-style podcast, where they... Um, they leave in a lot of the mechanics, you know, the roles, maybe a little bit of the table talk where Crimson Gold Agonies is done a bit more as almost an audio drama. So if you're into Legend of the Five Rings, check out any of those three, that being Court Games, Fortune and Strife or Crimson Gold Agonies. Yeah. Cool stuff over there. Mm-hmm. So tonight we have two very important guests on. We have... Opti and Mr. Johnson back on to talk a little bit of everything. They have a new product coming out and they have old products that we can talk about because I wasn't there for that discussion. So yeah, we want to welcome them onto the podcast. Yes. Welcome. Thanks, Steves. (laughs) It's good to be back. Yeah. Glad to be back. Yes. Unfortunately, the last time uh, the others, well, in my case, the other Steve wasn't able to join us because I don't remember what happened. It's been a long time and I've hit my head too many times since then. just life. life and i was and i was so offended by that i left early i know jeez <laughs> and, and, <laughs> it was just down to me being the b and steve at that point <laughs> that's why the name that's why the steve name podcast <laughs> it's one of us is here it works yeah <laughs> the day we have to let huli fill in for one of us it's gonna be a bad time oh that's coming for both of us <laughs> we'll just let him do both sides <laughs> <laughs> all right Julie, oh. it's your show go <laughs> who even are we if there's no steve's present <laughs> false advertising at best congratulations <laughs> you've got honorary steve <laughs> i will be playing the role of steve today <laughs> oh so uh opti and, and and clifton you are at this point formed fragging unicorn games a couple years ago Correct. And uh, you've got a Kickstarter. Well, as we record, because of the wonderful time warp of podcasting, in less than 24 hours, you will be launching a Kickstarter. Of course, when people get to hear this, it'll be a week into that Kickstarter. (laughs) In like 12 hours. Yeah, it'll it'll, it'll, be 
the anxiety. I was reminded somebody asked me if I was going to do the same thing this time as we did with the Gangs of the Undercity Kickstarter. Because I remember when I launched the Gangs of the Undercity, I didn't look at the updates. Like I just completely ignored it and just talked, you know, and did a little live stream and, and chatted with folks for about an hour. And I had somebody just shout at me like, hey, you need to pay attention. The game's funded already. I almost threw up. So somebody asked me if I was going to do the same thing this time. I don't feel the same anxiety this time as I did back then, but there's still there's still a little bit there. Oh, I'm, I I can't imagine what the the stress level, even for someone who's who's done a bunch of them, is like. Like, okay, I'm going to put this thing out, and I need this much, but this and that, and ah. yeah, yeah, it is. It's weird when you put. You know, I mean, when you put a lot of effort and 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 frankly, you know, some cash in there and some work and then like you need it to do certain level or else you basically wasted a good chunk of your life. <laughs> and that's intimidating and frustrating. But I think I, I'm I'm fairly confident in, in this launch tomorrow. OK, well, um, how about I'll just let you guys tell us what it is. Do you have that uh, official write-up, intro write-up that you wrote, uh, Opti? Because that's just perfect. Yeah, I will I will pull that up because I just sent out another press release email. <laughs> yeah, I could try <laughs> to summarize that, but but we, we mostly you sort of worked and honed those words down uh, to, yeah. to just say it perfectly. So, so yes. you just use that. So I am going to be happy to announce the upcoming Kickstarter launch of the misspent youth role-playing game, Fall in Love, Not in Line. If those are familiar with the original misspent youth game, you know what it is. But if you're not, misspent youth is a tabletop RPG about friendship and standing up to bullies and changing the world. It's a game for four to six people. One of the persons plays the authority which is the group of adult holes that are making the world crappy for everybody else. And everybody else plays youthful offenders who are teenage punks who are trying to redeem the future for the rest of their kind, the rest of the youths. But this one, Fall in Love, Not in Line, is doing something different. This is something that Cliff and I had sort of talked about when we talked about relaunching it. And the the Misspent Youth is a is a narrative RPG, and that sort of thing. If you're used to traditional RPGs, or if you're not used to RPGs at all, uh, I think can be a little intimidating. So, with this book, we are focusing on inclusion and invitation, meaning that we make it like super easy for anyone who's not played a narrative role playing game or a role playing game at all before to sort of ease their way into it. We provide some prompts. We provide sort of a lot more upfront than misspent youth did in the past where like you create everything. And if you're used to narrative games, like that's easy and that's fun and it's, and it's great. But if you're not, basically this, this holds your hand, right? It walks you through it and focuses on inviting and fun and quick experience right out of the gate. To that end, uh, the original misspent youth was really in your face uh, as far as presentation and attitude. And we have all of the same attitude, the punk attitude, the rebellious attitude, but we also had the thought, what if we could possibly get this into the hands of some junior high schoolers or some high schoolers? Like, what if we could get this in a public school library? Like, what if we could get this in places that it didn't get to before because of all of the 
Well, because uh, our culture tends to focus on certain words as not appropriate, et cetera, et cetera. So we are we're trying to get this sort of stealth punk rebellious revolutionary uh, imagination game into the hands of people that might not have been able to ever see it before. How did I do? Amazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I have not read even the original version. I am somewhat familiar with it as I've heard some reviews and interviews with, and I guess this is a good time to bring this up as any with the original creator, because this is a game originally written by Robert Bowl. And yeah. what about five, six years ten, ago? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Okay. Yeah. There was another Kickstarter about six years ago to sort of relaunch with a new edition of the first book and then relaunch another second issue of the uh, Misfit Youth called Sell Out With Me. But yeah, originally the game came out 10 years ago. Okay. And Robert has since retired from the gaming industry, is my understanding of things. Yeah. He retired from the doing the marketing and business stuff. But actually, okay. like, we're very good friends, and Robert has been working with us on this book uh, okay. almost every step of the way. So to say that he's completely out of the game is probably not true. To say that he's tired of trying to do the top-down stuff is is probably more true. Okay. Yeah, he did officially announce sort of his retirement from the industry, so, but but um, yeah, I've been we very bring him out of tentative and careful about involving him because, I, I, you know, I know we had some bad experiences, and I didn't want to push for much but he's been eager to get involved with pretty much everything we've we've asked of him and 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 then some so it's just he's been super generous uh every every step of the process and that's been uh really i think uh i think going to be critical uh, to the success of this because it really feels like we're carrying the torch and continuing things but also he's got a way to be involved without having to do the stuff that was no fun for him to do <laughs> i'm sure you know like Everyone thinks, oh, it'd be cool to write games for, you know, what? well, the number of people who actually write games for a living is probably fairly slim. I mean, I think I can count on one hand the guests we've had on this show to this point that are, so to speak, full-time in the RPG industry, and we've had a lot of people on. <laughs> yeah, it is it is not easy, especially now that we have a sense over the last couple of years of what it takes to make games like it is... It, who I don't know uh, if people didn't absolutely love role playing games and other games like nobody would do this. <laughs> this is this is a fool's errand to try to make make a living. Having said that, Cliff, I'm I'm super proud of Cliff who's actually getting there. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, it's just you know, like talk to some people that you know. I thought, given the amount of work that they turn out, you know, like Chris Spivey, we talked to him and given the volume that is Haunted West and the amount of other stuff he's worked on and, you know, Harlem Unbound and everything. No, it's a side gig for him. He has a day job, you know? Yeah. And, and just, you know, almost everybody, you know, does it, so to speak, evenings and weekends or whatever. And it's just like, wow, you know, how do you carve out that much extra time out of your life? You, you really have to love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You absolutely have to love it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, or and perhaps uh, to put another way, uh, can't imagine doing anything else. <laughs> Fair as well. So I don't even know where to start with this because did you guys keep, I'm going to call it his mechanics, although I'm saying that as someone who has very much got a background in traditional games and that's not at all what this is or was. 
we can go as deep into that as you'd like, uh, because uh, I've, I think the mechanics of misspent youth are very fun and interesting and unique. And I've also played a fair bit of the game and just sort of uh, thought of a few different ways to um, adjust some of the rules for different thematic purposes, or in some cases to uh, to adjust for some of the um, uh, some of the some of the randomness. I, honestly, I took a very minimal approach to adjusting the rules. I've largely left them intact, but I have changed a couple significant things and essentially um, added a few others. So. I'm not okay. sure how, how much you want to get into that, but uh, we are basically building from that foundation. I'm not reinventing the wheel uh, that is you know, the original misspent youth, but I'm taking it and um, I guess working with it uh, with some game design ideas of my own and uh, yeah, and just uh, trying to make it as easy and accessible for new players as possible. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, my my understanding of Bull's original design is that it's, you know, it, it's not stat driven or anything like like most of us are used to and it's actually oh, no. more what do you want to see he's almost mechanized narrative structure more than mm. what we're used to in a game where well i have skills and attributes and etc and that's not at least again based on what i've heard about the original version of the game that's not at all how this works now that, that's a really great way of putting it the i guess yeah robert bull uh has paid a lot of attention to structuring the scenes and the episodes and I've sort of definitely continued in that tradition uh, with approaching this uh, sort of uh, built upon that actually to have lots of uh, examples and prompts and things laid out for essentially a first whole episode for you to play through where it's a little bit more like a sort of choose your own adventure prompt sort of thing but with a with the the uh, the, the free the narrative freedom of an RPG and then uh, the idea is that you start out with almost everything is sort of laid out for you to work with. And there aren't too many creative decisions that you have to make to just get into the game. But as as you go, uh, the game challenges you to ask different questions or to find different things about the story. Or at some point, uh, kick in the, 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 the power move that is in the original game design for the player characters, the youthful offenders, that, that they get to set the scene at the beginning of a scene and not, not the GM, not the authority, the, uh, the youthful offenders get to do that. So there's for the first three, three or so scenes of the pilot episode, as I'm calling it for, for each of the different settings, the scene is going to be more or less set for them. And then with the fourth scene on, actually the first two are going to be set. And then after that, the third scene on, uh, it challenges the players to, to be the ones to set, set the scene. It, it gives more vague prompts in that case. So essentially try to do something uh, similar to, I guess, a educational theory concept called scaffolding. <laughs> Fair. So going off of, again, what, what I know without having ever read the, the, this thing, it's not GM-less, but it's also not really GM'd either. It's more of a whole table thing, but you do have the one player who's playing the authority, right? And the rest of your people are the youthful offenders. So... Am I reading that right? And that it's 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 very collaborative, uh, and there's some some uh, back and forth amongst the the players. But really, once the game gets rolling, the uh, person who's playing the authority is very much encouraged to be an oppositional uh, force, to really mm -hmm. be something to fight against and struggle against. You you as the as the GM essentially as the authority are encouraged to essentially bring out the story by really 
really turning the screws on the youthful offenders. Of course, within the context of the boundaries that you set together uh, for consent and and such, because that's super important. And uh, this is definitely not an excuse to push your friends around or put them in positions <laughs> where you know they don't want to experience that in a role-playing game. First and foremost, you want to make sure to take care of each other and your well-being. Uh, even if things come up where boundaries are weren't ever realized, but they ha- happen to be discovered through the play of a game and somebody realizes they're not comfortable with something, uh, number one priority, roll it back, take care of your people, maybe even walk away from the game for a bit <laughs> if you have to. But well-being, well-being of the players is the most important thing, of course. But that said, the authority is supposed to be mean. Right, but it... it... Like, yeah, being like, well, one, being mean and hurtful is just not the thing to do. But that's also kind of exactly what the game is about not being. Right. Yeah. As I understood it, you know, it's 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 about coming together to change the things that you don't that you don't like. But it's also uh, about uh, can you do that and hang on to your values or do you ultimately become just another bad thing that takes the place of whatever you happen to tear down because of what you have, what you have to push yourself to do in order to get there. Yeah. And also, also the other, the biggest thing that this game is about is what do the group of friends all learn about each other and grow along the way? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, do you want to walk us through a little bit of like the, the gameplay loop, if you will, I know it involves challenges and, and so to speak, turns in a way as far as narratively. And I know it involves dice rolling, but that involves, at least again, in the original, it involved kind of like a chart where numbers get taken. and But it involved you know, selling out and, like you said, as, as to holding on to your values and so forth. So you kind of want to walk us through that a little bit because it is so yeah. unique. So uh, an episode of Misspent Youth would be like a game session, typically. It takes about three or four hours to get through, and you play through a number of scenes. In the original Misspent Youth design, it's seven, uh, but one of the changes I'm doing for this book is it's going to be a five-scene structure. Okay. And uh, I just uh, it happened to flow a little better based on some of the um, playtest comments, and I tried it out, and everyone liked it that way. And it works better at convention play too, where you have a little bit more limited time. Mm-hmm. Sure. So what, what you do with this scene here, uh, well, yeah, every episode you'll play through five scenes and each one of the scenes has a particular role in the narrative uh, structure of the episode. So scene one is what's up. It's sort of establishing what's going on, where are the characters, what are they doing? And also sets up what is the authority doing that starts the first struggle. Scene two is uh, fighting back, where uh, the youthful offenders initially start taking the fight to the uh, the authority, or maybe the authority starting to push back kind of hard against the the first thing, and then uh, it's sort of uh, heating things up and uh, bringing some of the conflict in. And then scene three is we're winning, where the youthful offenders uh, get some sort of big advantage, and it seems like they're going to really kick some ass and win the day. Scene four is called We're Losing, where the authority really brings the hammer down. And then scene five is Who Wins, where it sort of settles settles the, the major conflict and question of the entire episode. And you would ideally, I mean, you can play this as a one shot. It's fun. It works great. But I think it works best when you play through a campaign or what I'm calling a series of multiple episodes to see uh, how things 
work out in the end. But uh, bringing the focus down to the, the scene here and how that works, uh, every episode has, again, has five scenes, and the scene structures are essentially the same, though there might be a little bit of difference in some special rules here and there. Uh, every scene initially begins with something called a friendship question, where uh, one of the player characters or youthful offenders will either make up or choose from their list, uh, we're providing a list to pick from, uh, of these friendship questions that bring out something about the background or puts another youthful offender on the spot about what their character is thinking or feeling or going through or knows about them or or maybe explores some background stuff. It, it can be almost anything, but the question is asked and then answered before you move on with the scene. It doesn't necessarily have to have any bearing on what happens or uh, it doesn't have to be played out. Uh, it can be something that is there to provide you with some uh, narrative fuel for your uh, creativity. When you do play through the scene, you can think about what was brought up in the friendship question, or or maybe it's just a thing where you you find out more about the characters before moving on. However the case, that it's, it's a really nice part of the game that everyone seems to enjoy, at least everyone that I've played with. <laughs> uh, but after the friendship question is asked and then answered, uh, we move on to the scene itself, uh, setting the scene. In the beginning, uh, and with some of the, the provided adventures in this book, uh, there will be a scene description that, that sort of sets out, hey, this is what this, this, uh, this setting is like. This is where your characters fit into it. This is what's going on right now. Kind of cool, right? And oh, here's a little bit of crappiness is going on too. And you sort of set that scene and let the characters interact with each other with some free play. So players are essentially encouraged to just talk amongst themselves and role play and uh, describe things about what their characters are doing and saying to each other and interacting with the environment. Uh, the authority would uh, interact with them much like a GM would. But in some cases, uh, should probably focus on uh, some of the unpleasantness that's going on based on the authority. And you can just sort of go back and forth and role play through more or less as long as you like, but usually about 10 minutes or so before at some point there's an inciting event. Now, in a classic misspent youth, this was essentially left up to y'all to sort of figure out or look for the right moment. And it, it having played the game a fair number of times, I can say it, it generally comes up is, is fairly obvious and it's, it's it's not too difficult to figure out hey is this the good time for the struggle okay good uh, but um, in the uh, the episodes that are presented in this uh, we'll have again in the first few scenes at least some some specific things that will bring about the struggle so this is something where the authority is doing something bad or unpleasant that the youthful offenders really want to stand up against and stop or oppose in some way and uh, that's when that's when the free play ends and you move on to the struggle. And that's where the dice roll and the game mechanics really kick in. Okay. I've been talking for a long time. But <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to continue here or uh, break it up with uh, any questions or anything? I mean, like I said, I just think it's it's enough different than a traditional game. It, it bears kind of explaining what people can expect from it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if you're used to Dungeons Dragons, you know, or or Paizo games or Shadowrun or whatever, right? it, it's going to be, I think, quite a bit of a different experience. Not completely untethered from sort of role play, if if you've done role play at your table, but there are sort of prompts, right, like that mm -hmm. invite you to inhabit your character and and act as your character in certain ways that you know just simply rolling a dice for each action doesn't the the 
story is a collaboration, like Cliff said. So the, the authority, while it might seem initially like that is the sort of equivalent of a GM or a DM, that's really not how it ends up working out. It ends up being like, hey, what about this? What do you think? You know, what about this? Like, what if I do this? Does this work? You know, and you guys tell a story together and the the rules are there to facilitate that and encourage that and invite that rather than to sort of say that works or that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're in the free play time outside of a struggle, uh, if I've typically played it where if a character says, Oh, can I do this thing where I have the cameras to loop them so we can move past here and, and et cetera. And we're not in the struggle yet, but so yeah, sure. You do that thing. Your character knows how to do that. If it makes sense for the character, of course, it's, it's very, very um, improv encouraging, but the actual game mechanics of the characters, what you have essentially for attributes or their equivalent are things called convictions. And you have a number of convictions that are defined, which essentially represent what, what motivates and empowers your character to stand up for and fight against injustice. Uh, so you've got something like, like your means, which might be, uh, you know, you might be cool. So like lots of people like you and want to be around you, or you might be bad. Sort of you're the leather jacket wearing badass that you're sort of cool in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. You have a motive. You might be motivated by altruism. Uh, you want to help people. There's a number of examples of these, but you have a specific number of these convictions and every conviction has its flip side or it's, it's twisted sold out version. Mm -hmm. uh, so stealthy is uh, perhaps one example of a conviction that would be, uh, I think a means or a, I, I forget which category it's in off the top of my head, but uh, if you were to sell out stealthy, then you might be um, untrustworthy. <laughs> so sort of really lean into the dirty side of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I mean by, and what where those come into play is as you play through the game, you can essentially sell out one of your convictions to, to win a struggle that you would otherwise lose. But that is permanently changed and, and uh, permanently sold out. Mm -hmm. You can still use it in future struggles to stand up and do things with it, but uh, usually that's going to provide an advantage to the authority. Okay. Now, you were talking about the friendship question thing, and that is some of the, um, like the collaborator, the collabs like um, kids on bikes or anything like that, where, you know, this person makes a statement about their relationship with this other character, and then we figure out what that means, both in backstory and the story we're actually going through. Is that a fair read on that? Yeah, I should say so. Uh, I've never played kids on bikes, but uh, some friends of mine in the Shadowcasters network did and had a good time with it. I think, uh, well, the friendship question is a bit less involved. It's mm -hmm. sort of ask it and answer it. You think about it maybe, but then you, you don't really dig into it too much. You move on mm -hmm. and come up with another one later. Okay. But I think yeah, it is very similar in, in function to that uh, now that you mention it mm -hmm. though i said it without having read that book but yeah, i think uh, misspent youth is a lot more adjacent to some of the more um more recent narrative indie style rpgs we've been seeing coming out in the last few years yeah i think it was one of not not early well one of the early ones but not you know it wasn't like the first one or anything like that all right struggle here's how the struggle works uh when the struggle happens you lay out the struggle sheet it's a, it's a little chart. It's got a little, a little circles set in it uh, with numbers in it. 
one number for each possible thing you might roll on a pair of D6s. So two, three, four, five, all the way up through 12. And um, the authority declares their objective, which is the horrible, nasty thing that's going to happen if they win. And the youthful offenders get to declare their hope, which is the good thing that will happen if they win. And uh, then we start with the authority claims the first number on, on the chart. And that the, which which number that is depends on what scene you're in. Uh, so they might, they declare, let's see, the uh, the bad thing is happening. The lawjacks are here. They're pounding at the door. Uh, what are you going to do? And place, <laughs> place, place a token on number three. And then a youthful offender, one of the player characters, should take it then, a, will then take a turn to stand up and say, I'm standing up. And before they do anything, they grab the dice and roll them. And whatever number they roll, they will place one of their tokens and claim that number. After they've rolled, then they will say, all right, I'm using this particular conviction. They will choose one of their convictions to use to do something. So using the stealthy example, all right, ah, stealthy. I'm really stealthy. I know the way to the back door. We're going to sneak out the back. Don't worry, guys. We got this. And they sneak toward the back. And then, so after the youthful offender stands up, the authority goes again. First thing before the authority does anything else, they have to take the hit. So describe how the youthful offender just messed up their plans. So like, ah, oh, man, if we don't even have any lawjacks covering the back door, you're starting to get away, but, and then they bring up whatever next narratively unpleasant thing the authority is doing. It says, but uh, there are some uh, security drones that are covering that area as well with their cameras. So I'm going to claim a number. Now, this is where I differ a little bit from the original rules. There used to be a chart that would determine which number the authority picks next. Uh, I've, I've adjusted that in this to be a little bit easier so you don't have to refer to a chart. Instead of referring to a chart, the authority will claim a number that is adjacent to a number that was just claimed by a youthful offender. It's easy because you don't have to look anything up, and it also thematically feels like the authority is, is right on their heels. Then okay. a youthful offender will stand up, roll the dice, claim a number, do the thing, etc. This goes back and forth until... Until a youthful, one of the youthful offenders stands up, rolls the dice, and happens to roll a number that's been claimed before. If the number has been claimed by a youthful offender previously, the youthful offenders win the scene. Their hope happens, the authority is <laughs> doesn't get their objective, and uh, yay, good. If they roll a number that's been claimed by the authority, the authority wins. However, before this happens, the person who rolled the dice gets to choose whether they're going to let that happen or sell out one of their convictions permanently and step up and just do something over the top and uh, or maybe cruel or uh, more authority-like and just really violate their values in order to get the short-term win. And uh, ideally, this will feel really dirty, but also kind of cool. And you get to win in that case. Uh, but if you don't do that, then the authority wins and their objective happens and something bad happens and you move on to the next scene. Uh, I did add an extra thing to the end of every scene called a reflection where you pause and uh, ask a question or resolve some sort of thought or idea, sort of think back to what just happened and what you all feel about it before moving on to the next scene. And then you play through five scenes uh, with uh, some variation on some of the struggle rules, like scene four, we're losing. The authority starts out by claiming two numbers on the uh, struggle sheet instead of one. In the fifth scene, where it's all in for the final battle for the episode, 
uh, if you use one of your convictions that hasn't been sold out yet, the authority gets to claim double on their turn. But if you use one of your sold out convictions, the authority only gets to claim one number. Usually that's reversed. If you use a sold out conviction in another scene, the authority gets to double up on their turn. So these are some um, some thematic uh, mechanics tweaks that I've added to the game to, I guess, turn the heat up. Okay. Now it seems. Now is this chart? Is this a like a like a football pool grid? Just I'm saying that because it's a you know reference people don't understand, or is it just like a a line of two through twelve? So the one that's provided, you can do whatever you want, but the one that's provided in the book has essentially two rows uh, with sort of one the seven kind of in the center. So you can kind of glance at it and understand. The numbers that are closer toward the top and the center are the higher probability rolls on rolling 2d6. Because you know, when you're rolling 2d6, you're not as likely to roll a 2 as you are to roll a 7. Right. Because there's more possibilities the dice can come up to combine to create that 7 than there is for the 2. You have a 1 in 36 chance of rolling a 2, or rolling a snake eyes, whereas the odds are better for rolling a 7. Because you get a 3 or a 4, or a 4 and a 3, or a 5 and a 2 and a 2 and a 5, etc. Um... But anyway, uh, apologies for if that. Feel free to edit that out if it's oh. um, antic. I'm I'm a bit of a system nerd myself, so probabilities are always you know rattling around the back of my head, even if I don't say anything. Well, it's worth sort of having a struggle sheet laid out that that really helps you feel just at a glance where those more important and dangerous numbers are. Because as a scene goes on, as as more tokens get claimed the tension really builds up. It, fe- it really has sort of this Jenga tower feeling that, that, that builds up with every additional dice roll, this what's it going to be? And Oh, okay, good. We didn't, et cetera, as, as you move, move on. So yeah, having a struggle sheet laid out that, that prominently displays that seven in the middle and the outliers are on the outsides or the bottom of the sheet that helps, but, but really it's just, it's a visual aid for keeping score, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, you maintain the struggle sheet then through the the whole episode, or do you reset that by scene? Yeah, there's a new struggle at the end. Every scene ends with a struggle. Okay. So uh, you will reset the reset the board after every struggle. So essentially, at the beginning of each struggle, the struggle sheet is empty. The authority takes their turn before anyone else declares what's going on and claims a number based on what scene it is or two in, in some cases. Okay. So this is very much, you know, as opposed to those of us who have played, you know, a lot of D&D or Shadowrun or whatever else, this is not a a game that it is all really concerned with actual combat. It's much oh, more yeah. social and, and role play and not any nitty gritty swinging of things. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Demi-Humans. Uh, it was a game that Robert Bull was working on before he retired. I think I've heard of it, but... Opti reminded me of a rule that he had in that called uh, Violence is Ugly, where you should always sort of lean into, not violence is a fancy and heroic sort of thing, but but just this horrible stuff happens. It's ugly. So I've uh, I've carried that title into our special rule for for this, that I think won't apply to every setting, but certainly applies to the one we've been playtesting. Again, it's called Violence is Ugly. So if a, if a youthful offender stands up and then uses the, their conviction in a way that is causes violent harm to a person, 
then the authority will get to claim two numbers on the next turn. Just sort of laying down the theme that, yeah, you can lay into some violence in the short term to, to get by, but it really plays into to the authorities game because then then they can bring more of a hammer down on you and feel more justified doing so. And they have way more force than you do. So in some ways, this game very much encourages not violence, but, or maybe you just really want to thematically lean into that and see the, see the tokens land down and just deal with the consequences because sometimes the, the less than optimal play is, is, is really what you want to reach towards uh, to Mm -hmm. get a more rich story. Uh, It depends on the players. Well, but uh, it sounds like you're saying you can do it, but it has a cost. Yeah, and there are no hit points or attack rolls. None of that. None of that matters. What matters is, are you standing up? Uh, what conviction are you standing up with? And if you roll badly, are you willing to sell out part of your soul to help your friends win the day? Okay. All right. So that I think kind of explains that kind of as much as we can. You know, as as gamer geeks, we want to you know, mechanicize everything. And this is kind of the antithesis of that, but if I could one more thing. Sure. So we track who wins the struggle uh, throughout the episode. And at the end, uh, whichever side has won more struggles wins the, wins the episode, the whole episode. Mm -hmm. And the authority begins the whole campaign with eight bad things, systems of control and authority figures. The youthful vendors begin with one good thing an exploit. And, uh, when the authority wins, they get a new system of control or authority figure. Uh, when the youthful offenders win, they get a new exploit, or they can destroy one of the the bad things. And the way the campaign ends is by winning an episode. Either way, you get to sort of move the lever towards the good or bad ending of the campaign. Mm-hmm. The campaign ends when the youthful offenders have more exploits than the total number of bad things the authority has, the uh, systems of control and authority figures. That's a good ending. Uh, The campaign or the series ends in a bad way if any one youthful offender sells out their very last conviction that hasn't been sold out before. Mm -hmm. And that's that's essentially mechanically how the the larger arc of uh, narrative structure is, uh, as you said, mechanicized. Okay. I get it, but it it feels like something that probably would be much better understood through plays and aha and that's exactly what this book is all about <laughs> bringing you into that and making that part easy for you the checks in the mail for that lead-in right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say it, it, i've i've hit that with a lot of games recently where i'll be reading them and i'm going man this feels complicated I know what this is based on and it doesn't feel that way on the table. You know what I'm saying? Like you'll, you'll read the rules to a game and you're going, man, this feels fiddly and crunchy and whatever, but, but I know games that are really close to this and they don't play like that. You know, I'm getting that kind of vibe hearing you explain this, that it sounds complicated, but when you actually do it, it's not. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really actually very simple. It's just very different than anything else you've ever played. And so it takes some getting used to. But generally speaking, I've found that when people get through a scene or two, it gets going pretty quick. And uh, it's real real easy to sort of uh, learn and lean into. Yeah, I, 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 I've I liked everything I've heard so far. I think it sounds really cool. And yeah, from everything you're saying, I, I understand where Steve's coming from. I'm, I think I might be grasping it a little bit more than I think I get where you're going at with this. But 
I wanted to sort of circle back and ask a little bit, not to put you on the spot or anything. You had spoken a little bit about safety mechanics at the beginning of that. Are there safety mechanics built into the game, or are you expecting the players to bring that to the table themselves? Is that, you know, obviously every, you should be playing with them, but, you know, I didn't know if you guys had that built into the game at, at its core, or if it was something you were sort of, you know, just laying out at the book and laying, laying out in the book and sort of expecting players to bring that to the table. It's a good question. Um, you know, um, I don't, I don't know if Cliff has done it yet, but frag and unicorns includes safety tools in all their books. So if Cliff okay, doesn't good. do it, then it will be done by me <laughs> before the book hits. <laughs> hey, that's what we're doing then. So yeah, my, yeah. my thing was, uh, at this point, at least in the playtest documents have just been to uh, my write-ups to been to uh, reference some of the really great safety mechanics tools that are already out there and freely available and uh, put some importance on it. But essentially uh, the most important safety tool is the number one priority that we take care of each other. So the, every any safety tool can fail in a game when something unexpected happens or comes up that some someone doesn't realize was going to be difficult for them. And if you're just leaning to the safety tools, you might feel okay just going on with it because, hey, we talked about this or this wasn't rubbed up, but that would be a bad outcome. <laughs> right, right, so right. The number one thing, I think for me, the number one safety tool, I mean, there's there's lots of great ones to use, lines and veils. I love the, uh, the, uh, the PDF uh, question document that was put out by... Monty Cook's Consent in Gaming, is that what you're thinking of? Yes, thank you. Yeah, I've used that one before. Uh, really, though, yeah, the most important safety tool, though, is just that that recognition of the player safety and well-being as the ultimate priority, even more than any game mechanic to the point where you can retcon or break any game rule to make it work. Right, right. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I think that's great. And, and, you know, that's great to hear. And like I said, I'm glad to hear that you guys are also, you know, even if you haven't done it quite yet, you are still implementing those as well, because I think that's something that gets overlooked. And when it's in the it when it's in a book and it laid out as a rule set, I think people then don't overlook that, if that yeah, makes like any that. sense. I'm, I'm glad Opti's got that covered. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I, I Yes, it was. It was always it was always in the in the can. In fact, I, I wrote there's a. There's an RPG that will come out one day called Purgatory. It's a it's a Weird West type RPG. It will? Really? <laughs> Do you hear something? No. Are they moving forward with it? Is it going no. to Kickstarter? I have not heard anything. I just have my hopefulness springs eternal. <laughs> I, I've written so much of that game and it was so much fun. Yeah, so so to see it at the table. Poker mechanics for initiative and stuff. Anyway. A couple of our friends have a company called broomstick fighters and and their first foray is a game called purgatory and it's the weird west but uh it's cliff and purgatory. i cliff and i did a, a bunch of work for that and and i did the dm section and i wrote what i thought was just a really amazing uh <laughs> gm's tips and tricks and you know have a big section on, on safety tools and i was like yeah this rules i can't i can't wait for this to get out and then like you know a couple of years just go by and i don't hear anything i'm like eventually but in the meantime since it hasn't been published i just keep stealing it and reusing it <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair <laughs> so yeah well that's uh it's something that uh is quite important to us just because 
I mean, if you can't if you can't take care of the people at your at your table, if you can't be community, if you can't be good to each other, then like I don't know, it, it's sort of it's sort of like having fun is secondary to being and feeling safe and good, right? And and you can have more fun, exponentially more fun, if everybody's feeling safe and good. Absolutely, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think sometimes safety tools get kind of a what do you want to say? I don't want to say bad rap, but like people go, well, we don't need those. Well, the thing is, if you've been playing with the same table for 10 years, you're using them. You just don't realize you are probably, you know what I mean? Like, or, and I've heard this too, or you have been browbeat into thinking that this is normal and you just go along with it. That's true. Right? Until, until you just burn out and, and, and real, like, so, you know, until, until somebody, says something very nice and gentle to you and you and you and you react very very strongly in a way that you didn't expect and you have to wonder about why I do that and then like mm-hmm. oh it's because I've been I've been being gaslit and I've been being you know browbeat and I've been being you know sort of mentally and socially abused for a number of years just so I could have a little fun on Friday night right and and we want to say like hey, it's not worth it and it's actually better if you treat each other with good kindness at the table. Right, right. It's all about having fun together. Yeah. So you're right. all having fun, not four of the five of you or two of the five of you or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I, I will say this as well. Fragging Unicorns has one of the best Twitters I've ever seen. <laughs> really? <laughs> say more about that. <laughs> well, you guys, I, I mean... As far as a Twitter that is, and and this has been my big push recently, but as far as a Twitter that is helping the tabletop RPG industry and pushing indie creators and pushing just the community, I love it. I that's I love following you guys on Twitter. It's fantastic. It that really is, is very heartening to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I I I don't want to say I put a lot of work into it. I will say I put a lot of authenticity. <laughs> well, and it it definitely comes across because I. I hate logging into Twitter nine times out of 10, but when I log into Twitter and the first tweet I see is a fragging unicorns tweet, I know it's going to be a good one. That's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) You made me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You guys are, you're entertaining, you're uplifting, you know, it's, it's like, yes, these are good things. not what i expected to hear today on the podcast but i'm I'm now i'm now feeling like two clicks uh more happy than i than i was before that so thank you well i remember the the um counter campaign you ran to the gang's kickstarter and all the the how do you want to put this the silly bean things you tweeted about yourself Oh, was that the the fragging unicorn sucks Twitter account? <laughs> yes, whatever it was called. I don't remember. I just remember seeing that. It was like right as I was oh. first actually starting to use Twitter much at all, and I'm like, okay, this is amusing. Is it you time know? to bring that up for uh, Mister? Yes, I totally. I haven't thought deep? about that in like in like two years. <laughs> Maybe it's time to blow the dust off of uh, fragging <laughs> unicorn sucks. Yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah, it was like warning. Don't, don't, don't do this. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll corrupt you. Yeah, it was that was hilarious. <laughs> so, I mean, I got a couple more things I wanted to ask about with misspent youth. If, if you guys are okay with going, yeah, up. please. So, I know the original game didn't really have any setting per se to it. It was entirely set up at the table, and and from what uh, you've said, Cliff, you've included some like sample or example settings in it 
do you want to talk about those or just kind of like, you know, I know the thing that a lot of people do with games is talk about, you know, like different, you know, movies or, or whatever that, that that's kind of emulates, you know, do you have some touch points for that? Uh, sure. A lot of them are, um, well, we're still defining some of the details for some of the individual settings, but the settings are ultimately uh, woven into the presentation of the game rules. There will be a number of different chapters, hopefully more than five, depending on stretch goals. Each chapter is essentially an introduction to the RPG with uh, some of the basic rules that you need. But the, the first episode that I mentioned, the pilot episode that you play through, is designed so as you as a brand new gaming group can all sit down together for the first time, never played the game, open up the book to that page and start going through there. You might pass the book around reading parts, uh, something I'd really love to do. One of our stretch goals is to, is to get like an audiobook style set of recordings that you can put on and listen to those. So you don't have to read them all off together, but yeah, the settings aren't just there as an example of the rules. They're the vehicle by which uh, the rules are presented in this book. There are, of course, going to be some uh, some rules or mentioning for people who want to create more of the campaign, you know, define more of it, come up with their own settings. Because, yeah, at its original conception, uh, Misspent Youth was uh, very much a wide open, this is make up your own world and play in it. And uh, this book is, here are five or more settings for you to play in that we hope that you'll like and play in more or make your own. And uh, if you want to make up your own, here's some quick rules for that, or check out the first book, which has everything in it and you can get for free. Okay. So the, um, the one that we've been playing with on the play test is a uh, sort of kind of loosely based on the setting for uh, subversion in gangs of the undercity, which is the city of Neo Babylon. It's a cyberpunk fantasy uh, setting in a world somewhat similar to our own, but uh, where the Babylonian Empire uh, was sort of the, the big influencing empire rather than Rome that shaped history. Uh, and there's magic and cyberware and goblins and stuff. But otherwise, <laughs> totally like our own world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like it. Uh, we're going to have another setting that's going to be uh, basically a bunch of kids with their own uh, mecha defending their... Uh, people on a planet that's being uh, taken over by a resource hungry corporation. And I think we're going to do a superheroes one. No, you're going to do that in another book, aren't you? Yes. I was actually just thinking like, Hey, what if I just soft announced that? Like after misspent youth is done and after subversion, one of the next things I wanted to do is use the misspent youth mechanics and create this superhero role-playing game. That focuses on like, you know, being the hero instead of like whatever powers you happen to have. Of course, you'll have powers, but it'll be more like, hey, are you going to use your powers responsibly? Or are you going to you know, become one of those corporate heroes and or one of those Punisher anti-heroes? Are you going to lean into Rob Liefeld in the, in the, in the 90s or are you going <laughs> to keep your your Silver Age convictions? Anyway, that's a tangent. Hey, well, this is. This is this is Steve, me and Steve, the the tangent show. <laughs> exactly, precisely. If we don't wander down five rabbit holes, it's not a whole show. <laughs> Another uh, setting by Ava Rogers is uh, going to be a fantasy, so that'll be neat. Misspent Youth has mostly been a sci-fi game so far, and I think opening up to the uh, the fantasy side of things might lure some D and Ders, perhaps. You never mm -hmm. know. It well, it, it at its at its base, right? It's about 
struggle against authority, which doesn't need to have a particular setting. I was really hoping we could uh, license Earth Dawn for a chapter. You know, it was a long shot and it, it didn't didn't pan out. But that that was one of my uh, early ideas. Like, oh, let, let's get an Earth Dawn chapter in here. Mm. <laughs> sort of a post-apocalyptic hopeful fantasy. Yeah. No shortage of settings that we'd kind of want to do. but Yeah. For a while, we we're thinking about doing the purgatory setting, which is Weird West. But uh, other stuff has is, is, is stepped up instead. It might be a good time to like just say we had a bunch of stuff that Cliff and I could have very easily done ourselves and had a very good time doing. But we had a good conversation with Robert Bull where he reminded us that Misspent Youth actually works better when it includes more diversity. So we actually sort of started ditching some of our in-house stuff and started bringing in a lot of other diverse creators, which actually made me feel more proud about the book after after that conversation. Well, it's something we're trying to do more of, but I had actually kind of already, the people we have lined up, I already have lined up and it's nice that we've already got sort of a nice diverse group of friends. Mm-hmm. No, it's not all dudes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, I know, you know, throughout my gaming career, I've played with mostly other white guys, not exclusively, but you know, that's not all that's in the hobby, right? There's people of all backgrounds, everything. And so why not bring them in on design as well? And I really love the idea of being, this is the first time I've been in the position of being lead writer for uh, an RPG project in a book. And just my first, one of my first uh, thoughts after I started digging in was like, I really want to just bring in some, some of my friends who I know want to write some gaming stuff. Uh, that That's kind of where that started. But also the idea that hey, this is going to be a better in a more fun product if we have more brains making up the stuff right just more people to to come up with different ideas and uh, i happen to know some awesome people who come up with great ideas so i was able to reach out to to them and uh yeah offer a paying rpg writing opportunity and uh that's been been really really a high point for me honestly uh having the opportunity to 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 involve some other people on an opportunity like this, which, you know, is going to be paid and paid well uh, by the RPG writing industry standards. I don't mind saying like three or four cents a word or even less is actually pretty common, uh, mm-hmm. even from major RPG companies. But we're, we're able to do 10 cents a word because we set the goal when we set up the Kickstarter. And maybe more, uh, maybe we get paid, maybe some, we and all the authors get paid more if this goes crazy and, you know, is way more successful than we are. Yeah. At 30,000, we, we give everybody a bump. And then at 40,000, we give everybody a medium, a medium or bump. And then at 50,000, we give everybody a large bump. And then, yeah, if we, if we happen to get to a hundred thousand, which I mean, like, I'll be honest, that's, that's in like, that's in like imaginative land. Like that's in, that's in Peter Pan alternative universe universe. But if we do, then we've already committed to creating a grant of $10,000 to give to minority creators, just like free and clear, like here, make your own cool stuff without any strings attached. That's That's awesome. So since you mentioned the team, do you have anyone you'd like to shout out at this point, or is that still kind of being kept under wraps? As far as creators on the book? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't mind. Let's see. Myself and Robert Bowl. And you, Opti, are writing some for it. I am. I am writing some, but I'm not writing one of the settings. Um, um, we have Ava Rogers. 
Uh, Ava Rogers is going to be writing uh, one of the setting chapters, the fantasy one, and Zafira is going to be writing the uh, that mecha setting that I mentioned. James Palmer, who is one of our previous collaborators on Subversion and Gangs of the Undercity, will be writing one of his it's be like uh, a and, steampunk fantasy one. Uh, yeah, and he, he's bringing a a <laughs> Canadian diversity. <laughs> I don't know if that's super diverse, but it's it's not American. And um, one person I just brought on uh, is Nathan Blades. Oh, cool! I was hoping yes, snag him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I and and I don't know what they're doing yet, but them. I'm sorry. Them. No, no, it's fine. It. Uh, and and yeah, I'm I'm excited. Nathan is incredibly talented, and I can't wait to see what they bring. But yeah, it's it's super fun. Probably something cyberpunk, if I if I had to guess. But <laughs> yeah. but I will say the conversation I was having on Twitter about uh, our flag means death. Uh, I said that finishing that show makes me want to do a, a, a misspent youth setting about queer piracy. And Nathan's like, hey, <laughs> can we talk about collaboration? And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I, I sent them an email like like three minutes later and we, <laughs> we sealed the deal. <laughs> nice. Very, very cool. Yeah. That, that, that is that is news to me at this moment. So, I, yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm, I, I just that. sprung it on you. <laughs> No, no, uh, that that's perfect. We've been uh, trying to fill that that last spot, and uh, again, bring in some uh, someone who is going to be awesome. So. Yeah, we had one of our very good friends, Skylar Wall, who was going to do something sort of in, Indigenous America related, but they had to bow out. That's why I got Nathan at the last minute because I was trying to find somebody to replace one of our own that kind of had some some hard times. Yeah, I was I was really hoping that uh, that they'd be that they'd be in there, but you mentioning uh, Nathan Blades being involved uh, got me all excited too. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're just great. All right. So uh, obviously by the time anyone gets to hear this, they can just click on the link in the show notes and go find out all the nitty gritty on the pledge levels and anything. But do you want to go over that at all? I'm guessing being is basically at this point, you probably are just going to hit the button in the morning that you have that all set, but I don't know what your process is. Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful. We haven't even talked about Remal Turnus yet. Uh, Remal Turnus Productions is a, a company. Uh, wow, what kind of company? <laughs> a streaming company and getting gaming people together. and Content creation. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's been started by our good friend, Sarah Kraus. And uh, uh, she's just done an amazing job of building that company and community in the same sort of vein of positivity and inclusivity that we've hoped for. Honestly, doing it better than us. Way better yeah, than they came alongside of us and did all the stuff that we hate doing. About uh, they, <laughs> they partnered with Fragging Unicorns Games officially, and our, this is our first sort of flagship partnership thing where they've they've actually run some successful Kickstarters on their own with some of their own projects. But they're they're doing all the Kickstarter and marketing heavy lifting, and oh my gosh, it is just so wonderful to have mm. them. I mean, such good friends, but also yeah, to not have to do all the Kickstarter stuff. I mean, we still have sort of the, the press circuit things, you know, I'm here talking to you, and, but this is just fun, uh, right? Uh, this is a great time. I don't have to worry about statistics and number crunching and web design or any of that. It's just, it's just a lovely position to be in as a, mm. as a, um, a creative person. Worker, yeah. artist. I, there's a word for what I'm doing. A game design writer. There we go. <laughs> a dev. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, 
tomorrow I'll be uh, do a live stream. We're we're launching at seven a.m. our time, uh, Central Time. So I'll be launching a live stream and just hanging out with people, and then pushing the button live, and then you know just hanging out with people. That's my process. Aha. Uh-huh. I'll have too much nervous energy to do anything else with my time other than just <laughs> fart around and talk to people about what we're doing. So can you give us a hint as to what pledge levels will be just a ballpark even, or I mean, cause I intend to go check in the morning and get in on this. But... We're keeping it pretty, pretty simple this time with gangs. We had tons of different options. And uh, if I can just be incredibly frank, the world has changed since since we launched gangs pre-COVID. <laughs> so um, we no longer feel like super great about you know physical rewards just because of uh, supply chain issues. So we don't have a whole lot of stuff. We do have though a digital level where you can get the PDF of Fall in Love, Not in Line, and also the previous two PDFs as well. We have another level at 35 where you can get a soft cover of the new book and PDFs of all of our previous books. Um, at 70, you get a full printed set and all the PDFs from all the books. So a, a full printed set of the original Misspent Youth, Sell Out With Me, and Fall In Love, Not In Line. And those are basically the only physical rewards that we have is just the books itself, which, which mm-hmm. means our supply chain is a, a direct arrow which is nice, but we do have some other, uh, I don't know what you would call them for me. I was telling the team earlier, I feel really uncomfortable with them. They feel like vanity rewards, but, but like, I don't see that being the case with other people. I just see it being the case with me, but at 150, you can get a seat at the table where, uh, either myself or cliff or Sarah from Rem will run a game of misspent youth for you. And then at a at a five hundred dollar level, you can basically take Cliff and four of your friends and have uh, an entire, uh, I think, something like a four hour session of of misspent youth with Cliff. Cool. And those are that's basically it. That's that's a very straightforward reward tier at this time. Okay. No, like I said, I just you know was curious you know as to as to what how much money I had to plan on spending. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All of the money. is it just me or do kickstarters you're interested in come in batches it does feel like that there is a a healthy amount that i'm interested in right now yeah there's always cool stuff going on in kickstarter (laughs) if you look there's so many different neat things happening so yeah i i try not to pay too much attention because then i will spend money i don't have (laughs) Yeah. yeah i get reminded Every time I go, there's this Kickstarter, and my wife will look at me and give me this look and go, why do you need so many books to play pretend? Because <laughs> this book lets me play pretend this way, and this book lets me play pretend this way. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what we're doing. Well, I wanted to try and talk about uh, Gangs of the Undercity a little bit, but it looks like we're running a little low on time. I would love to come back and talk about Gangs. We got some really cool stuff going on uh, with Gangs, so yeah. Anytime. Well, maybe then we can we can just plan to do that another time, and we'll make sure Steve is here because he knows more about little bits of plastic than I do. <laughs> Depends on the little bits of plastic. I think maybe is it... Uh, well, first thing we should do, I suppose, is uh, contact info, socials, all that kind of stuff. 
yeah, anywhere you guys want to be found, where you can be found, if you want to be found. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could you could find us on Twitter at Fragging with no G Unicorns because Twitter has a limit. Or just look for Fragging Unicorns on Facebook or Instagram. That's where you should be able to find us, FraggingUnicorns.com. Uh, or head to Drive Through RPG and search for Fragging Unicorns to find our stuff. Okay. Cliff has other cool stuff. I'm not. I'm not even talking about all the other stuff I'm about. This is just fragging unicorns. <laughs> Do it. You know, I'm just going to leave it at that. And uh, when I have all the attention, go to fragging unicorns and misspent youth for the Kickstarter, and uh, do lots of other things. But I think I think that's just what we'll focus on here. Yeah, and then go to you know when you hear this a week from now, go to Kickstarter.com forward slash projects forward slash fragging unicorns forward slash misspent dash youth dash fall dash in dash love dash not dash in dash line <laughs> i'll put a link in the show notes there you go <laughs> just just google misspent youth kickstarter and find the one that's going on now instead of six years ago and you'll be good there you go <laughs> that'll work too all right so uh I suppose with that, do we want to do uh, game of the week real quick here? Because yeah, let's let's go ahead and do a quick game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. Who wants to go first? I do. I do. Go. I'll go. I'll make mine quick. Eva, standing up. Roll the dice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My game of the week is Cyborg. Guess what? There's a review coming of that eventually. There you go. That's the, Mine's that's done. The the Cyberpunk Morkborg. Yeah. Backers got PDFs last week. Right on. It right is on. awesome. Fantastic. If you're in for Morkborg, but you want Cyberpunk, it's that exactly. So nice. Yeah, we got to play it this weekend and we had a blast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not the and, Cyberpunk game I want to make, but it is a Cyberpunk game I want to play. Oh, yes. oh yeah. yeah. Yes, you do want to play it. Plus, there's a really, really cool grenade in the game. <laughs> it's, it's it's a really yeah all right <laughs> who would like to go next <laughs> uh, i will there's a game that's on indiegogo right now called uh yaziba's bed and breakfast room for everyone it's a quirky rpg like a, a slice of life uh rpg about a witch who runs a bed and breakfast and all oh, the yeah, different really yeah, all the really weird, fun, uh, flavorful characters who live there, and you're and you're you're just playing. It, it's not like adventures, right? It's like I don't know, like whatever. Like Sal wants to write a play, like that. Like that's that's the episode that you're playing through. Uh, and I'm I'm pretty excited about that. It just seems really really fun and lighthearted and wholesome. Well, what's that called again? Yaziba's Bed and Breakfast. That one is by, let me make sure here. It's Possum Creek Games. Oh, Jay Dragon. Yes. Jay Dragon? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. I met them at Gen Con this year. Or was it Origins? I think it was Gen Con. Yeah, I had a great conversation. Uh, it's by, yes, Jay Dragon. Yes, you're right. Yep. And, other, and others. But Such yeah. a delightful person, though. Never mind. I barely know them. Uh, just <laughs> that conversation. We, we just chatted a bunch and uh, you know talked about their their books and games and uh, talked a little shop as uh, you know game design writers. Though you know they've done way more than I have. I'm just dipping my toes in, <laughs> but uh, yeah, super super nice. And, yeah, and, I've, I've run into them a couple times on Discord. Very nice. Very cool. Well, I'm jealous that you all know them because 
I'm I'm I'll just infatuated with yeah I'm infatuated with this with this RPG what it looks like so <laughs> random person who talked to them in the booth at Gen Con well hey remember you from last here's year a, here's friend. another <laughs> random person <laughs> <laughs> all right would you like to go next uh, Cliff or would you like me to uh, sure I can go. I'm going to pick Stargate SG-1, uh, the RPG. It's by uh, by Wyvern Games. It's, uh, well, I love Stargate, uh, particularly the series SG-1 and Atlantis. Uh, also Doug Universe, but not as much as the other two series. And uh, Rodney McKay is my favorite character, by the way, if anyone wanted to know. And it, it's just playing a game that, that brings that feel of it is 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 really uh, neat to see. It's, I know when I her, first heard it was uh, using the fifth edition D and D rules, I was a little, I didn't look at it as early as maybe I should have, but they're doing some really innovative stuff with it that it, it doesn't just feel like D and D. If you play D and D, the mechanics will be familiar to you, but there's also some new stuff, including a big focus on various non-combat challenges, different encounter structures, uh, such as a uh, negotiation, uh, which is called a convince encounter, some uh, chase combat rules or, or, or not combat rules, but the cha- you know, car chase rules, or well, maybe they'll be more likely to be uh, using uh, F302s versus uh, you know, uh, old uh, death gliders. But anyway, uh, they just did some really neat game design stuff with it. And I was, uh, I was, I was pretty thrilled with it. I've actually gotten a few sessions in with a couple of groups here and there that I managed to get together to try it out and um i've also joined their freelance writing team so i'll be writing two of the episodes for the second season of adventures for the living campaign oh very cool very cool very cool well I, i'm glad to hear that that game's good <laughs> yeah yeah i i like it a lot partially backing it way back yeah i cautious optimism and then to hear that it's actually good that's i'm glad to hear that i'm very excited to see what you have coming for it so but we do want to th- <laughs> hey we do want to thank you both for coming on the podcast um as always like steve hey. said links oh what i oh, got a game. game oh you gotta get i'm sorry steve <laughs> I... i'm not used to there being four of us here okay it's a little confusing sometimes so i found a game i just found it this evening and it it sounds interesting it's called long haul 1983 oh yeah it's a solo game and what it is, is you're playing a long-haul trucker. Mm. Is there arm wrestling? Please please tell me there's arm wrestling. Well, I, <laughs> no, look, go ahead. I, I, all I know about it is what I found on RPG, but it'll cost you all of 12 bucks for the PDF. It says every day you'll hit the road, navigate treacherous highways, flee menacing threats, deal with the psychological impacts of isolation. At the end of each day, you find a payphone, make a call, and leave a message for the most important person in your life. Aww. They never pick up you never stop calling. So you need like a deck of cards, a few dice, and it says a microphone. So I assume you're supposed to like record your phone calls, but it, it sounds maybe depressing, but maybe like really kind of interesting and in, in like sort of self, uh, exploratory. Arctic too. Yeah. 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 It reminds but, me a little bit of, uh, some of the Takuma Okada games I've seen such as Alone Amongst the Stars. Well, this is from Sean Patrick Kane. I'm not familiar with them, but... It sounds wonderful. But it, yeah, it says it has a 26-song soundtrack. <laughs> um, but yeah, it says you need a standard card deck, four six-sided dice, is ideally fate dice, a device to listen to record your voice, and a way to listen to music. And that's all you need. So 
sounds interesting and different, which is sometimes exactly what I'm looking for. That sound awesome. There are also a whole bunch of community copies available, uh, which is a tradition on itch. That uh, okay. love. Uh, so that if you uh, can't afford a copy of the game, you're welcome to grab one of the community copies. For There's a bunch available, so there's no okay. uh, no monetary barrier to checking this out. Yeah. Yeah. A little small thing, 33 pages. I'll probably put the links for both uh, itch and drive through, or maybe just itch. I don't know. We'll figure it out. So just to real quick to throw this out there, there's a, there's a term in anime called a yashike. Bear with my pronunciation, but the term actually translates to healing. And it is sort of that like refreshing, calming sort of like the term implies healing style. And that's what this sort of brings to mind immediately. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So now that Steve said his piece, we want to <laughs> thank you both for coming on the podcast. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. You can find us on Facebook, Discord, Twitter, TikTok, Patreon, Podbean, all that fun stuff. It's all in the show notes. With all that being said, we want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Thank you, fellas. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, tried to rush that end bit as fast as we could. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 my wife, I just totally remembered. My wife has a uh, stream that she does, uh, Dresden Files RPG uh, Ooh, stream. What's the stream what name? Get that for tech. What is the stream name? It's twitch.com slash Rem Alternus. Yeah. Rem Alternus, yeah. It's Master of Rem. Is actually the Master oh, of right. Rem. Well, thanks, Steves. You guys are yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. You, you guys nice are awesome. Hang out with you again. Nice to meet you you know kind of like those crazy podcaster people that would just random cold message people mm-hmm. but yes <laughs> just do it for fun <laughs> yes i know those people <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course i know them they're me yeah yeah, yeah. well thank you guys so much yes. for coming on and, and talking to us and and good luck with the kickstarter I'll definitely be watching that